Hello everyone, Krista and Hannah here with a brief message before we start the episode. We are on the third season of Keys to Music Learning and we have loved every second. Talking about audiation-based piano instruction is a passion of ours, if you couldn't tell, and we thank you for listening and keeping us going. We recently launched the Keys to Music Learning community. Similar to Patreon, this is a way to support the podcast and access bonuses, such as opportunities to attend podcast recordings and monthly meetings so you can pick our brains with your questions, share your successes, and connect with other teachers. Become a silent partner for only $3 a month or, to access the bonuses, a friend of the podcast for $5 a month. Join today at musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning community. The link will be in our show notes. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Keys to Music Learning. I'm Krista Yadro of Music Learning Academy. And I'm Hannah Mayo of Mayo Piano. Join us as we discuss common goals and challenges in the piano studio and offer research-based ideas and solutions to guide every one of your students to reach their full musical potential with audiation. We'd like to welcome back Sarah McCaffrey Ritchie. She's been talking to us about early childhood and running a music school and lots of other wonderful things. So welcome back, Sarah. We have a few more questions for you. Awesome. Glad to be here. <laughs> uh, let's start with Music Moves for Piano. So you got into Music Moves. Marilyn convinced you. Thank goodness. And um, we'd like to know what were some of the challenges in the early Music Moves days? Yeah. Um, it's funny because a lot of the challenges I, I didn't realize until I had moved on to the next book. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's why we did, were supposed to do that thing that I kept skipping. Um, one of, I mean, for me to go from music play with the zero to four-year-olds into music moves for four, five, and six-year-olds was like such an easy transition. Um, I... I definitely did not know to do as much review as I was doing. And at the time, I didn't realize how creative the kids could be on the piano. Uh, I think that took learning and being around other music moves for piano teachers to start to kind of widen my grasp on how great keyboard games was. For, for me, at first, I was like, cool, they're moving. We're still singing in lots of modes. We're still moving in lots of different meters. And they get to play these cute little pieces as well. Like, this is awesome. And looking back on that now, my keyboard games classes are, are so, so, so very different. And constantly going back and reviewing and playing things again and playing things backwards and playing things upside down and you know like lots of uh you know circus tricks that go into playing no we don't do any any crazy things like that but uh it's it's been really cool to see how much my students can do and even the recital that we had in June of this past year it just so many like seven keyboard games pieces that kids had mashed together and created something wonderful with so I honestly, my biggest challenge was when I thought I, I can just I, I can just teach book one. And I did. I had the teacher's edition. Um, I did follow Marilyn's plans. I didn't understand them. 
to their full uh, potential <laughs> because uh, book one has a lot of stuff that is preparing you for, well, units one through nine are really preparing you for units 10 through 20. And I, if I had known that, I would have approached those early units in a different way. And then even when I got to book two, um, I actually taught, I taught a lot of the Music Moves series before having um, really good training and really good support. And, you know, looking back on it, I at least was giving my students something, but I definitely have been able to give them so much more since uh, being a part of a community. And Marilyn had a lot to do with helping me learn how to teach Music Moves for Piano and also uh, you guys, everybody in the Music Moves community and the Gimmel community, uh, I learned how to ask more questions like, what does this mean in book one, unit 10, as opposed to the first time I taught it, which was like, I don't know what this means, so I'm going to skip it. And not like the best way of approaching it. However, like I said, I look back on that and like, at least I was giving them movement and piano and we were learning things by rote. Um, but I I feel like a completely different teacher since really diving in with my community and leaning on others <laughs> and asking for help. We were just having a conversation about um, kind of fast tracking older beginners through book one. And we were talking about how it's important not to skip anything because there's always something in there that is acting as a readiness for something down the line. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. It's a very validating thing to work your way through the series and go, oh, that's why we did that random thing in book one that seemed random, but is actually meticulously placed at that moment. And those kinds of discoveries are so awesome. Yeah, it's all very sequential. And, and it's, it is, I think as, as music teachers and music learning theory teachers, we, whenever we get to a point where we teach something to a student and they give you that face where they're like, what? And they have no idea what you're talking about. Like 99% of the time I double back in my mind and I'm like, oh, I did not explain that to you well enough, or I did not move with you well enough to that, or I did not do enough patterns along with that. And that's why we're here. And you're giving me that face that I really want to erase <laughs> and make the clarity come through for you. Um, and so I, I love that M music learning theory uh, across the board has this great, you know, as you know, like sequential approach. And when you do skip something, or you didn't spend enough time on something, you that light bulb goes off in your head as a teacher. And you're like, okay, I am going to double back to before that, re review that and then keep going. And it's it's great because then you see where things went haywire and you can help. And I like that. And I, I used to be like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. Like I already taught this to them. It's like, no, no, go back, go back, go back, go back. Even when they get it, go back. Why not review it? <laughs> yeah. Go back and do something new with it as you're reviewing yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think you've started to touch on this a little bit, Sarah, but how did you know that Music Moves was really working with your students? Uh, I think there's a couple of answers to that question. Um, to me, the fact that they would be excited to come back and play something for me and seemed happy to be there and the whole, wait, this lesson's over, questions would come through. I was like, this is working. And it's working because I look back at my own experience, which I know I talked about in one of the previous episodes of like, literally looking at the clock and be like, oh my 
gosh, how is there 15 minutes left to this lesson? And oh my gosh, there's 14 minutes left to this lesson and like counting down the seconds. Um, so that that's a big one for me is just the indication of the children um, creating together and, and having a good time doing it and not feeling overwhelmed and upset by it. Uh, but for me, I think um, watching them be creative in a way that, you know, when you have a really young child and you're like, be creative on the piano, that can really go in a lot of different directions. Um, it's when you start to see them putting together things that make musical sense, uh, like go create a song about a um, an otter on the piano and I want to hear dupe days and that means I'm in duple and I think you should play it low on the piano and having them create something that is four macro beats and they do, or they do eight macro beats or they, they do a familiar rhythm pattern that, you know, you've worked on with them a lot. And they, they put that into their improvisation. That's, that's my second big one is when they start improvising in ways that I know come from the books and come from what I've taught them. And then as you keep going, um, I notice a lot in book two, I will sing or play a song and they're just like, Oh, I feel like I've heard this song before. I'm like, yeah, I've been singing it to you since you were like five years old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and you know that that happens as you keep going through the series. I, I have taught a few book four students. I, I do have a book four student now. Um, they will not leave me. And um, this student has gone through a lot emotionally, and COVID was really really difficult. And they are 11 years old, and this is my oldest student for sure. Um, and I won't give them up because I know when I do, it's it's done. But so this the student is in book four, and there's just so many moments where I'm like, oh my god, how do you know this? I and I I can't remember the name of it right now. It's escaping me. It's the um, festive dance, festive dance, festive dance. Yeah, I I like opened up the book and I'm like, oh, so we're learning festive dance. <laughs> I think. I like we just have such a different relationship and they heard it and they sat down and played it in every major key and da, 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 they've been playing that in their cadences so far AT. and uh and then created with it and twisted it around and changed it changes meter and changed it to minor and changed it to mixlydian and i was just like this is insane i mm-hmm. you are 11 which is quite old for me <laughs> i'm like you're on the older side of my students uh but um I couldn't do that in college. <laughs> I couldn't. I could. I was in again. I will say I was in the lowest theory class option at Eastman. And if you had been like, "Cool, now let's create with that," I would have been thrilled, but terrified. And um, so when you see your student progress through the series like that, and all of the like aha moments that come, it's incredible, and it feels so good to see that. I've also just been kind of looking for places to talk about this. I have a musician parent who I went to music school with, and I'm now teaching her five-year-old daughter. And um, she texted me one day saying that her daughter is speaking like a musician at home. She's talking about phrases, and she's talking about how she wants to put the phrase in the high register or the low register. And she's like, I'm convinced you know, my, my five-year-old is talking like a musician. So I think Mm -hmm. that between the two of us, things are going well. (laughs) So that is some really great success stories. Um, my, my personal favorite is 
when they walk out the door and they're not telling you this, they're telling their parent and they have no idea that you can hear them. And they go, Oh my gosh, that was so fun. Right. I love that. Yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give to new teachers who are just getting started with all of this audiation based piano teaching? I would say to not necessarily do what I did, which was like, I'm all by myself and I'm going to work through this on my own. Um, find a community. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you've, you've found a community already and you should lean on this community and ask questions. There are no dumb questions. Um, I have, so I have four, including myself, we have four music moves for piano teachers here at the school. And I have set time aside. And I always tell my teachers, like, do not suffer through something that you're not sure about. Um, lean on me and lean on each other, too. And I've, I've really enjoyed seeing um, Jessica and Callie, who are my teachers that have been with me for a few years. And now uh, Vanessa, who is just trained in, with the with the Gimmel PDLC level one with me um, to watch them help each other. And that, that's where I'm like, oh, mama bear, <laughs> like watching, watching my sweet uh, teachers. Um, sometimes someone will ask me a question and my 25 year old teacher will be like, oh my gosh, here's what I do. I'm like, oh, okay. This is, this is awesome when we start leaning on each other like that. And obviously like what a privilege for me to have that here right in the same building where I can do that. Um, but it, it, it happens with, with the uh, Facebook groups and here in a podcast like this, you can just get so much support. And I think that is the most important thing is to lean on other teachers and then keep challenging your ear. Um, I, I would say, I, I say get Marilyn's Keyalities and Tonalities book. And even though you're like, oh, I've played major and minor scales my whole life, uh, a flip to the back where she has all of the Lydian and Mixolydian chord progressions written out for you and um, play them and create with them and and write songs in different modes because it's going to get you closer to or it's going to have you feeling closer to the whole experience because you've actually done it yourself. And, you know, you don't have to use them if they don't sound good to you, then don't use them. But at least you wrote a nice chord progression in Dorian and you can feel really proud of yourself because there are a lot of music teachers that don't want to do that <laughs> so or can't or so. can't yeah yeah so that brings us to our final question which i think is our favorite what is your favorite part of teaching piano using an audiation based approach uh for me it's everything i didn't get um i love moving with the children and singing i mean i think that is my earlier early childhood music uh, side with music play coming through um i love improvising with them and i think that word was scary to me at one point in my life if you had been like you're gonna improvise on your instrument i would have been like no thank you um and now i i love it and i love creating with young children on the piano and coming up with ways that they can uh, it's funny. They all love it. Like, you know, showing them a picture of a bug and saying, how would this bug sound if you played it on the piano and having them go to the piano and create that sound exploration with you? Um, that is 100% my favorite reason or my favorite thing with, uh, with teaching piano. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's one of my favorite things too. I'll just say is the focus on the sound and not just pretty sounds or, you know, mm-hmm. th- classical sounds, but all sounds like the piano is capable of making so many sounds. Our voices are capable of making so many sounds. 
And music is really all about organizing those sounds in whatever way we want. So I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. And I um I have some students who play things that are so unexpectedly beautiful. Uh, you know, if you say play what a, like a, a calm, breezy day sounds like, and they play this slow, beautiful thing. And sometimes parents in the waiting room are like, huh. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I heard that too. That was really cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us, Sarah. That has this has been a delight, as it usually is chatting with you. Thanks for sharing all of these wonderful experiences with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Sarah's webinar on musiclearningacademy.com called Early Audiation, Creating a Musical Bath for Our Littlest Learners. If you are not already a part of this ever-growing community of audition-based piano teachers, please check us out on the Facebook group, Introduction to Audition-Based Piano Instruction and Music Moves for Piano. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon.